chapter 11, verse 17. I'll give you a second to get there. I'm sorry, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 17. There we go. <laughs> but in the following instructions, I do not condemn you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and, humili and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I condemn you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in the name. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he, until he comes." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of, of will be guilty concerning the blood the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and have and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are, dis we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when, he, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About, all the, about, the, uh, about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Amen. Yes, we'll be looking today at 1 Corinthians 11 and at the Lord's Supper. And I want us to think a little bit about just supper in general, because there is a level of preparation that supper entails. Even supper at McDonald's, in one sense, involves some preparation. Even, even though you can go in your sweatpants and never leave your car, you still got to go out. You got to get in the car. You got to start it up. You gotta drive over there and you gotta hope that the ice cream machine isn't broken, right? <laughs> There's somewhere in the middle, which is preparation of uh, dinner at home, right? Y'all understand this? You gotta cook the food, you gotta prepare the table, and you gotta hope the kids are gonna keep all the food on the table, right? And then there's preparation to go out for a fancy dinner. You get dressed up, you find the babysitter, you make the reservation, you get to the restaurant early, and you still got to wait 45 minutes to actually eat. There is always preparation involved in supper. Now, what about if you were preparing to have supper with Jesus? What if Jesus himself was coming over for dinner or said, let's go out to eat? What preparations would you make? I'm sure you'd make sure the house was spotless. You would have the kids over and you'd have the huddle and you'd make sure that they're on their best behavior. You'd say something like, you better not make a scene while the Son of God is here. If you do, you'll meet him again in a very different way, right? 
Or maybe you would go, let's just not even do this at our house. Let's go out to eat at the nicest restaurant possible, right? But what if I told you that as a church, we dine regularly with Jesus, and that he isn't concerned about some dishes in the sink or about how we're dressed. Jesus is concerned, though, with our souls, Last week, we considered the church ordinance of baptism, that Jesus commanded his church to baptize and to be baptized. We went from cover to cover in the Bible considering baptism, and we looked at how it was a one-time act of immersion in water as an act of commitment to God as the first steps of Christian discipleship and as the front door to church membership. And this week, we consider the other church ordinance, the Lord's Supper, And you may know it by several different names. It is called the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. It's called Communion in 1 Corinthians 10. It's also called the Eucharist in many Christian traditions, which comes from the Greek word for give thanks, when Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread. And just as we took a deep dive on baptism last week, this week we are going to feast together on the Lord's Supper. We will be feasting together on the Lord's Supper. And I believe it's best to start with the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper. To ask the question, how does baptism and the Lord's Supper relate? How do they relate to each other? Jesus gave the church two ordinances, which are two rituals or two practices that the church is to do until the end of the world, water baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these ordinances relate to one another in three ways. First, there's a contrast because baptism happens once toward the beginning of the Christian life. The Lord's Supper is repeated throughout the Christian life. You see it? Baptism is meant to only happen once. But the Lord's Supper is meant to be repeated throughout the Christian life. And baptism happens alongside our initial conversion. And the Lord's Supper is meant to be practiced throughout a Christian's life. Paul tells us this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. We read it just a bit ago. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He doesn't directly tell us how often to do it, but he does say to do it often. Here at this church, we've gotten in the habit of doing it once a month. On the first Sunday of the month, we regularly take the Lord's Supper together. And I often hear folks say things like, well, do you ever think if we do it too often, it will get old? And my question to that is, does getting your paycheck ever get old? I hope not, because something doesn't get old if it really is that important to you. (laughs) So we should ask ourselves, how often should we do it if we are really gaining something truly from it? The Lord's Supper happens, or the Lord's Supper is repeated, whereas baptism happens once. Second, baptism symbolizes new birth. The Lord's Supper symbolizes ongoing spiritual growth. The Lord's Supper is meant to symbolize our new birth, death, burial, and resurrection. We're brought under the water and lifted out to new life. Whereas the Lord's Supper is meant to symbolize nourishment and growth. Consider the fact that it is food and drink. You can't grow without food and drink, can you? And it's meant to symbolize nourishment and growth spiritually. And finally, third, baptism is like a wedding ceremony. The Lord's Supper is like a vow renewal. 
Think about it that way. Baptism is like the wedding ceremony. The Lord's Supper is like the vow renewal. Baptism is, again, it's the wedding ceremony. It's the commitment you make not just to God, but to the family of God. It's when you go public with your faith. You can technically go get married down at the courthouse, right? But we talked about the reason you do the big ceremony isn't so you can drain the father of the bride of all the money that he has. It's to make a commitment to the people that are there, right? It's to make a public commitment of those vows that you're making to one another. It's to make the, it's to make your, it's to make the relationship public. And the Lord's Supper is like a regular renewal of those vows, It's a regular renewal of what Jesus has done and how we are to be reliant on him. And this is why the Bible teaches a sort of order to these ordinances. The Bible teaches us that baptism comes first, then the Lord's Supper comes next. We're baptized into the church as members, and then we take the Lord's Supper as members of churches. We'll actually see this in a couple places. Look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. Look what we see here. The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, the 3,000 souls, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those who received the word were baptized. Then they broke bread with the people of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Israel is given to us as an example. Look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Do you see it? Baptized in the cloud, in Moses, then they ate of the spiritual food. There's a sort of order here for us, and the Bible would encourage us to get the order right. The supper is for baptized believers, just as vow renewal is for those who went through the wedding ceremony. And to get it out of order it's kind of unusual, it's irregular, it's, it's just sort of an odd way to go about doing the supper apart from the waters of baptism. And so my general advice to folks is if you've not been baptized, it would be best to do so first before you consider taking the supper. It's far better to get married than it is to begin to do the vow renewal, <laughs> right? It's far better to go through and to make the public commitment to the vows before You begin taking the vow renewal. These ordinances relate to one another, and God has given them to us for a reason. Now, what is the Lord's Supper? What makes it so unique? There really are three sort of elements to the Lord's Supper that are so important. First, the source. Consider the source. Jesus transformed the Passover for his new covenant people. Look with me. You can hold your place in 1 Corinthians 11 and look over at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. As Jesus, this is the night he was betrayed, he's preparing to, for his death and his eventual resurrection. Jesus gathered together his disciples for the Passover. And remember, the Passover was the Hebrew festival that commemorated the exodus and God's rescue of Israel. And look at verse 17. 
Matthew 26, verse 17. Now the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And they gather there in that upper room. The Gospel of John shows us that Jesus gave a long teaching to his disciples that Judas would leave from dinner before the Lord's Supper would take place and that he would transform the Passover into something new. That God would do through Jesus a greater work of rescue and redemption, a new and greater exodus. He would make a new and better covenant with the people of God. And that is what the Lord's Supper is meant to represent. That's the source of it. Matthew chapter 26, look at verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take Eat, this is my body. And he took a cup when he'd given thanks, and he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. See it. The Passover was the source of the Lord's Supper. Jesus transformed the Passover for his new covenant people. Now, let's consider the substance of the supper. The substance, bread and the fruit of the vine. (coughs) Matthew 26 is very clear to us. Jesus took bread and he broke it. He poured what it says is the fruit of the vine and they drank it. Jesus gave us certain instructions, certain elements for the Lord's Supper. Bread in pieces shared, and the drink, which would have been juice from grapes. The bread eaten and the cup drank. Now, there are some Christians who put a lot of emphasis on these specific substances. There are Christian churches who put a lot of make a big deal out of needing to have wine over grape juice. And let me just tell you that Jesus says it's the fruit of the vine. He doesn't even really tell us how much alcohol needed to be in it, what sort of grape juice it needed to be. He just simply says it needs to come from grapes. It needs to be bread and juice or bread and wine, and I believe both are acceptable But there are others who kind of go the other direction, who say things like, well, the substance really doesn't matter. They'll say, well, if we have freedom over juice or wine, can we celebrate communion with pizza and grape soda? (laughs) Maybe we can just have, like, whatever we want, candy and all sorts of things. But Jesus is clear. We eat the bread and we drink the juice. There are other churches and traditions that believe, though they use bread and wine, that God actually changes those elements into something else. Roman Catholics, for example, believe that at the words of the priest, the bread and wine change into the literal body and blood of Jesus. That this isn't simply Jesus' spiritual presence with us, that something literal changes and occurs. 
But Jesus here isn't telling us that his body and blood are these literal things, but he's, he's speaking in symbols, in metaphors to us. We've considered the source. We've considered the substance. Now let's consider the symbol. The symbol. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. You want to see how we know that these elements don't change? Look at Matthew chapter 26 again. Look at this. And after he took the cup, when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See it. Jesus said to the disciples, The wine stayed wine, and the bread stayed bread. He says, I'm speaking here in metaphors. Jesus did this often, right? In the book of John, Jesus said he was the door. And obviously, he wasn't saying that he could be bought at Home Depot, right? He said he was the shepherd, but he was speaking metaphorically with us as the sheep. Jesus said he is the vine, but that doesn't mean you can literally go to a vineyard and find Jesus there. So it is with the Lord's Supper. It symbolizes his body and blood. It reminds us and stands for what Jesus did for us. His body broken, his blood spilt. The supper is a regular eating of bread and drinking of the fruit of the vine done in remembrance of Jesus. But why? Why take the Lord's Supper? What does the Lord's Supper mean? Four things. First, in the Supper, we fellowship with Christ. In the Supper, we fellowship with Christ. While the Supper is a symbol and a memorial, it certainly is more than that. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. So if you're in chapter 11... Flip over and look at chapter 10, verse 16. <clears throat> the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body of Christ or in the blood of Christ, the bread we break? Is it not participation in the body of Christ? The word for participation here is the word for fellowship or communion with Christ. The Bible doesn't teach us that Jesus' physical body and blood are in the supper, but it does teach that Christ is spiritually present with us while we take the supper, that when we do this, we eat with one another, but we also eat with the King. Jesus is here by faith through the Spirit as we celebrate the supper. Consider this, Jesus was standing there in Matthew 26 as they took the Lord's Supper, and the Spirit of Jesus is right here with us as we take the Supper. Jesus reminded us that his disciples were in the upper room, that when he was gone, it would be better. John chapter 16, verse 7. Again, this is a part of the teaching Jesus would have done at the Lord's Supper. He said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He speaks about the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and he says that the Spirit inside us and with us is better than having Jesus physically beside us. 
The Spirit can dwell with all of us, in us and around us. And friends, God is here in a special and a unique way when we gather as God's people to remember His Son's death on our behalf. And in the supper, we're fellowshipping with Jesus. We're having supper with the Son of God. And that's incredible to consider, participation in His body and blood. Second, in the supper, we unite as a church. We unite as a church. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Look at this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. See what Paul says here. He says, because there's one bread broken into many, this is meant to symbolize that we who are many are united together as one by the supper. That one of the things that brings unity in a local church is thinking about and practicing the Lord's Supper. It's the basis for our unity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11 alone, I want you to see this. We read four times that the Lord's Supper is taken when God's people get together. Look at this, verse 17 and 18. You see it here. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. In verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I don't know how this could be much clearer. The Lord's Supper is a church unifying ordinance. It's something the church does when we come together. It unifies us, and it is something that's unique that makes a church a church. And this means that the Lord's Supper, when it's taken outside of the gathered church, really isn't the Lord's Supper any longer. Paul actually says so. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. Look at this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together to eat, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. The Lord's Supper unites the body, and thus to take it separate from the body is to divide it and is to miss the point. So let me say some things that might be controversial, but I think come out of this. This means I don't think the Lord's Supper is meant to be taken with small groups in the church, particularly when the whole church isn't invited to partake. This is a family meal, and when grandma invites the whole family over, y'all know you don't start till everybody gets there. (laughs) Y'all ever had Thanksgiving dinner before, and you got to wait for the whole family to arrive? Friends, this is the same principle here. you got to wait for the whole family to get here. And that doesn't mean... You can't have the meal because certain people can't make it. But it means that all that would be invited need to be there in order for it to be the supper. It also means that it isn't meant for weddings because the supper is meant for the community of faith as they gather as a church. It's not for any setting outside of the gathered worship of God's people. And so I probably wouldn't if I were to go. You can go to the garden tomb in Israel and and take the Lord's Supper. And I'm like, as cool as that might be, there's no church there for me to take it with. 
What kind of Lord's Supper is that? The point is gone. (laughs) It's just some bread and some juice. It's a snack. It's not the Lord's Supper any longer. It's for God's people when we gather as a church. It's a unique setting. And again, it's just like family Thanksgiving. We wait for the whole family that's invited and can make it to be a part. It unifies the local church, a body of baptized believers together as one family. And it calls us to be unified even if we have our differences and we have our conflicts. Third, in the supper, we remember the cross of Christ. In the supper, we remember the cross of Christ. Look at verse 23. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I say this often. The Lord's Supper is like a second sermon, a proclamation in tangible picture form of the death of Jesus. His body broken, his blood spilt. The supper is a call to look back on our only hope in life and death that Jesus has died and risen again, to remember the gospel and to remember in order to believe, to nourish our faith, to feed our souls with gospel food. It is literally acting out the picture Jesus gives us in the gospel of John where he describes faith as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Look at uh, John chapter 6. Again, Jesus is speaking of faith here, but the Lord's Supper does definitely put this picture on display. John 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Friends, the supper is only for believers in Jesus because it's an act of faith. It's displaying our faith and hope in Christ alone. He's the living bread, the hope of our souls. The supper, in it, we remember the cross of Jesus. And finally, in the supper, we look forward to the coming of Christ. We look forward to the coming of Christ. Did you notice the end of verse 26? For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord's Supper reminds us that, yes, Jesus has died, but also reminds us that Jesus is coming again. Jesus told us as much. Matthew 26, 29, he set down the cup and he said, Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That one day we will feast with our Savior in his Father's house. 
That the Lord's Supper points toward a marriage supper, a day when all will be made right and God's people will rejoice in His presence forever. Revelation 19 gives us this picture. Look at this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready and was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." What a vision. What a hope. God's people will not simply eat some bread and drink some juice to remember. We'll feast together and rejoice. The bride will be with her bridegroom forever. He'll wipe every tear from our eye and we will see his face. The Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup are an act of fellowship with Christ. An act of unifying the church an act of remembering the cross of Jesus and what it means for us, and an act of looking forward toward Jesus' second coming. But we do have one more question to ask and to answer, and it comes at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, particularly verse 27. Whoever then eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it is not for judgment. And about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Here's the question. How do we take the supper in a worthy way? He warns us, don't take it in an unworthy way. There's people that are sick. People just died in the middle of church because they took the Lord's Supper wrong. I don't know, but something was going on there in Corinth from, from, from handling these holy things in an unholy way. So how do we take the supper in a worthy way? First, we take the supper in a worthy way when we take it with faith and repentance. When we take it with faith and repentance. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. He says, examine yourself. We need to consider our own heart and souls. We need to do a vertical examination. Do we come to the supper believing we're being nourished by faith? Do we come believing that we're fellowshipping with Christ? Do we come turning anew from our sins and turning afresh to Christ, we need to examine ourselves and in this renew our commitment to God. Go, God, I am afresh, trusting in the Son who is represented in the body and the blood, in the bread and in the cup. Second, we take the cup or we take we take the supper in a worthy way by discerning the body. By discerning the body. Verse 28. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who, who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, he says discerning the body. I don't think he's talking about understanding that the bread is actually a piece of bread. I think we all got that, right? I don't think that was too complicated to consider. But he's telling us to consider the church, the body of Christ around us. Don't just do a vertical examination. Do a horizontal examination. Do we have beef with others in this body? Are we dividing it into factions and preferences? He not only tells us to stop doing it, he would encourage you before you take the supper to go to your brother or sister and repent, to turn, to confess your sins. Because if we take this without discerning the body, he says it becomes judgment for us. It becomes a sort of discipline upon the Lord for us. 1 Corinthians 11.30, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some even died. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen to you today, but... I'm just saying, this is what he warns us of. He goes on to say that this judgment is meant to to spare them from the condemnation of the world. That sometimes that greatest thing that we can do and the kindest thing we can do is to encourage someone, if you aren't sure about taking this, let it pass. Let it pass and work that out between you and God and you and your brother and sister that you may have beef with. Third, he says, we take the supper in a worthy way by waiting for one another. Waiting for one another. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. This is why when the elements are passed and the bread and the, bread and the cup come, we wait, we reflect, and then we partake together. No one running ahead of the other. No one rushing, everyone waiting. Again, remember, when Thanksgiving dinner, you don't just wait for everybody to arrive, but before you can even go back for seconds, you got to wait till everybody else finishes their food first, don't you? Y'all got to come together, you grab your food, grandma prays, right? You, you eat together as a family. We eat together because we're united together. And that means we might have to wait on someone even if they're a little slow, It might require us to actually have grace and understanding and patience and faith for other people. Maybe it reminds us that church isn't about any one of us and our preferences. We wait for one another. And finally, we take the supper in a worthy way by preparing for the feast. Preparing for the feast. Verse 34 If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it's not for judgment. About other things, I will give you directions when I come. He says, prepare. (laughs) Prepare. Think about it the night before. Eat before. In the first century, they often would celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of their potluck. And he's sort of saying, hey, don't come here and hoard all the bread for yourself. Don't hoard what's meant to be shared. Consider that maybe the church and the supper and all of this is a reminder that this isn't about us. But like any meal, we prepare. We prepare by not coming hungry and hoarding for ourselves. We come prepared by discerning the body and examining ourselves. We come to the table with hearts prepared in faith and hope and love. And God's people are invited 
to God's covenant meal. And so I would encourage you, if you're a baptized Christian who's living in repentance and faith, you're welcome to partake, to prepare your hearts and partake of the bread and cup as they're going to be passed. And if that's not you and, and you kind of make that decision, maybe something's prompted you in here just to let it pass and to consider this a time to observe and to hear God through the supper inviting you to come and feast. So what we're going to do, Jeremy will come in just a moment. He's going to sing a song for us as the, as the cups and the, and the bread are passed and hold on to it. We wait for one another and we'll come back together and partake. Use this time to reflect and by faith we'll feast together on all of God's promises. Let us stand and let us pray together. Actually, let's remain seated and pray together. I'm sorry. Let's remain seated and pray together as the supper, as we'll prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Father God, you are good and kind to us. Thank you for the Lord's Supper and all that it stands for and all that it means. Lord, thank you that we can have fellowship with you through this. Thank you that we can have fellowship with your people through this. That this isn't just us and you. This is, that, that this isn't just us individually and you as our Savior. This is your people coming to feast with our King, with our God in heaven. And so, Lord, I ask that in these moments, Lord, we would have hearts prepared by faith to feast on your goodness and kindness, that we would discern the body and examine ourselves, wait for one another, and have hearts prepared to feast on your promises and your goodness toward us. I want to pray today, if there's somebody who doesn't know you, that they would see this supper as a second sermon, calling them to come to you and to have life. To come, with the one without money, without price, and feast on that which can never go away. Lord, be with us in this supper, and we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bring yourself. 
trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Jesus Christ Oh what a Savior Isn't He Before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't he wonderful? together and we take the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A second sermon for us reminding us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we close our service with a benediction, a blessing from God's word to send us out into the world with this message that Jesus died and rose again and that that is the hope of all who would turn to him in faith 
and repentance. This from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.